Hello, I'm Kristen Marchand, and this is the Opianga Line. Tonight, we have a unique show that is drawn from the very soul of our own local history. No, I'm not talking about the coming of the railway, or even the sinking of the Mayflower. Rather, it's a show we simply call Lilies of the Valley. Why? Because it's based on the prodigious syllables of three local women who were not famous politicians, leading intellectuals, or masters of business, religion, or the arts. No, they were Lilies of the Valley. Honest, hard-working, young girls who grew up locally to be wonderful, caring mothers and grandmothers, and inevitably mentors to a generation. And as all fragrant, beautiful flowers eventually become the salt of the earth. About 30 years ago, the Ontario Ministry of Culture and the Canadian Give the Gift of Literacy Foundation provided seed money that allowed our public library here in Barry's Bay to organize a rather ambitious oral history project. Starting in 1991, Jennifer McVeigh eventually recorded 34 of our local senior citizens who were all born after the coming of the railroad in 1894. But all through the 20th century, they watched with acute interest and loving care at the comings and goings of life, as it was then being lived in and around Barry's Bay, Wilno, Combermere, and other far-flung places. Each of their interviews, conducted in the early 1990s, was duly transcribed and published as part of a two-volume set of books entitled Madawaska Valley Memories. Where the original recordings ended up, no one seems to know. But what we do know is that the Apiango line is dedicated to recreating over the coming years as many of those 34 voices as humanly possible. So tonight, we start with the first three lilies of the valley, Rose Burkatchepesky, Evelyn Hildebrandt Villeneuve, and Bernice O'Grady-Billings. But instead of getting just any one of our wonderful Apiango Readers Theatre to read these oral histories, we had an idea we thought you might like. So... We recruited three very special voices as the newest members of the Apianga Readers Theatre. One, in fact, so out of the way that she forced up to set up a special studio in the Yukon. So, without further delay, let's begin. On September 7, 1909, Rose Cecilia Burkat was born near Wilno, the youngest daughter of Anton and Marianne Burkat. She married Henry J. Chepesky, and together with her husband, she became one of the driving forces of local development throughout the latter half of the 20th century. She had eight children, including Dr. Andrew Chepesky, who, along with the Chepesky family, helped to establish the venerable reputation of St. Francis Memorial Hospital, built in 1959. Rose passed away on December 8, 2000, at the age of 91. But eight years prior, she contributed mightily to those Madawaska Valley memories. Here now, all the way from Dawson City, the Yukon, is Kathy Chepesky, the eldest daughter of Dr. Andrew Chepesky, and a well-known local in her own right, having taught for over 25 years at Sherwood Public School in Barry's Bay. She knew her father's mother simply as Grandma Rose. I think my dad came from Poland. And my mom, I think she was born here, but I am not really sure. I was the youngest and I did not get the history. I was only about six years of age when my mother died. I was born Rose Burkat, a real Polish name. I was just little when my mother dropped dead, coming from church. We were coming from church and we crossed the fence, and she dropped dead just at our field. It was two miles to walk to the Polish church. It was just the two of us. I was always with her. I don't know why. I guess the youngest one is always with her mother. I ran home to tell them she dropped on the ground. By the time they got there, she was dead. We did not have a doctor there, but the priest said she died of the heart. I don't remember where anybody was because I was running and shouting. So my family was broken when my mother died very badly, very much. 
My sister was at home, and she was the oldest one of the house, and she had to do everything. She was a very good cook. My father remarried, and he moved out west, so my oldest brother got the farm. And then the two boys went to war, the First World War. The one that got the farm and another one were overseas for two years and a half. So the rest of us kept the place going. I could do anything that came to my hands. I did not mind working because you have to work for your living. Those days they worked hard too. Not like now. I think people are made for work. Not for having a good time. You did the laundry on the washboard. Carried water from the creek if you had no well. We had a creek running through our yard. We did not mind. Homemade soap. I don't think we ever had store-bought soap. You boiled the grease and put some Gillette's lye in it. And that is what makes the soap. And we used to pick stones and throw stones on the stone boat. It seems to me that every time we get thunder, it pushes the stones up. I think so. Or they come up when they're plowing. We had chickens. And we had a few cows. We had to have cows for milk. There were no dairies to get milk. You had to go and carry it from some place. We had a cow here. She was all alone. And she used to come over to the fence and watch us. She wouldn't go up to her pasture. She had a very good clover pasture there, but she wouldn't go up. She always wanted to be with people. But really, at the farm we were all right because... My youngest brother was a very good worker. He used to cut the ice and put it in the milk house. I guess the root house is the right name for it. He put the ice in the root house and packed it all with sawdust. So we could make ice cream in the summertime. I always liked fall because there were so many nice things to eat. We had plenty of apples and fruit and everything. It was very tasty. And we had so many things like port sausages. Then, and they made some kind of stuff out of goose blood and that was tasty too. And now I wouldn't even know how to make it. I was reading that in Ottawa, they are complaining that the people buy live geese and then they torture them. Well, how else will they get them? It's the same as pigs. They have to kill the pigs to get the blood out. The winters were the hardest. We had to walk two miles to school, and in the winter time it was pretty hard. There were no roads plowed like they have now. We had to walk, and sometimes we walked up to our waistlines in snowdrifts. It was hard when there was all the Spanish influenza. I remember the priest told them from the pulpit, if you have a headache, don't go any place. But I don't think there was much else you could do. I remember my sister was so sick and her back was so sore she couldn't sleep. And I remember my brother was going back and forth looking after neighbors feeding the stock and see if they needed anything. It was about two miles. He must have been traveling about four miles back and forth. He would go every day to find out how they were and if they needed anything and to feed the cattle. Oh, people years ago were more generous than they are now. Yes, the winters were the hardest. We did not have anybody to grade roads. Now if they are not graded properly, they write or shout. But nobody complained years ago. And now they have everything. They have everything and yet they want more. They are not satisfied. 
Before Christmas, the men and the boys would go to camp and leave the horses for us ladies to look after. After Christmas, they took them to camp. Then we were left alone. But that was our hardest part, to look after the horses. It was just girls. The men went to the camp. One of the horses was very wild and we had to handle him and we had to feed them up well for the winter to go to the camp to work. The men would come home for Christmas just for a few days. After Christmas, they would take the horses and go back to the camps. I remember they used to take the trains and go to Maynooth. They had to put the horses on the boxcar. They had to go way up to Huntsville and then take another train down. Imagine the distance they had to travel. Nowadays, it's such a short distance to go to Maynooth. Christmas was my happiest day because we had bells on the horses. Everybody had bells. It was the nicest thing to see everybody going to Midnight Mass. When I was in Israel, I was happy to hear the cowbells because it brought back my memory of Christmas. After Mass, we would come home and open gifts, whatever we had. We did not have very much. A Christmas tree. I remember one year I got a doll. My sister was throwing it up. She said, she's going for a trip. And it fell on the stone and it broke all up. That doll was the only thing I had, my Christmas gift. Years ago, we did not mind that very much. We took it as it came and then we would get mitts or something to wear. No gifts or toys like they do now. My land, now they get so many toys. I think that is out of the question. I did not like winter, but I had a good time. I could go on the highest hills and then sleigh ride down the hill and it would hold me on the crust. I only had a homemade sleigh made out of boards. Not like they have now, the toboggan and everything else. But we had a good hill. That was the one good thing a good place to go and sleigh ride. I don't know if my brothers had homemade skates or what kind of skates they had, but they used to skate on the ponds when the ponds were strong enough. They weren't very strong because they were going up and down on them. I often wondered that they did not get drowned. I always liked spring the best. The streams were running, the snow going away. I loved spring. Even now, I get so glad to see spring and hear the birds singing. It is so much livelier a time. The cold weather is finished. Summer was hard, too. We did not have any screens in our doors or windows. We had to make a little fire in a pail to get rid of the mosquitoes. I don't know if anybody had screens in my days. We had a long day of work in the summertime, from daylight till dark, four meals a day. One of my sisters cooked the meals. I was too young to help in the kitchen. I helped out in the fields, picking stones, digging potatoes, but any kind of work, indoors or outdoors, it was all the same. You can't be too fussy. Everybody around our place had to work. My one sister ran the family. She was the oldest one. And the neighbors used to say to her, Well, you're the oldest one. You have to look after it. She did not mind it. She was a very good seamstress. And when she was working in a factory... She was always the head one to teach them how to sew. She would sooner do her piecework because she could make more money. But they said no. She had to teach the other ones. She was good.
She was excellent. I learned my religion from my mother, but most of it from my sister. I made my first communion after my mom died. If you have faith in your religion, I think that is very good. It was for me. I was about 12 years of age when I left home. Then I was working up north. So the people now, they don't know what hard time is. The problem now is that people don't pray enough and they don't believe in anything. You have to believe, in other words. I remember the Fatima apparitions. Oh, I remember them well. I heard about it when I was young. Our neighbor used to come down to read the paper with my dad, and they read about it. You could see the rings from the sun for 25 miles around. And after the Blessed Virgin left where she was standing on a tree, the tree just bent over to where she was going, the same distance. And then they say there's no God I can't believe people at all that they can't get in their minds that there is a God over us. I often wish that I could go and see the place where she was. I thought, I'll never go there. But I was there twice. I was twice in Fatima. I was there twice and that was enough. After when I got married, we built this place and we also worked hard. The whole family used to go and pick stones off the road. They said the place was nice, but I had to work so hard that I did not even notice what it was like. There was a farm here, and then we had a garden. I used to work in the garden, and I had eight children to look after. It wasn't easy that time. You had to carry your water from the well and I usually had two cows to milk. I had to stay up sometimes till two o'clock in the morning just to get the work done. My children all had jobs. The oldest said she always had the hardest. And the boys had to work too. They had jobs. They worked here. I believe it was the hardest for the oldest ones because they had to take care of the rest of them. Even when we were living here, I did not have time to go down and watch while they were swimming. But they all learned to swim and nobody got drowned or hurt. There was a guardian angel with them. My husband was born in Renfrew. He was 12 years of age when he moved to Barry's Bay. I met him in Barry's Bay here. Well, I knew him before, but we just started going together then. He was working for Stafford's in the store for a while, and then he was a clerk for the municipality. Then after, he was a justice of the peace, and then warden of the county. That is right. He was reeve for 13 years, and then he became warden, and afterwards, he said it was time for him to quit. He built the hospital here. My husband was very determined he certainly was. My husband was in the lumber business. We had a sawmill here. Afterwards, when he couldn't get timber, he had to quit the business. That is about all I can tell you. We did not have very much of a wedding. There was no music. There was just somebody that played the violin. I had nobody to look after a wedding. Only my sister's. It was too hard for them, and I still had to work. When my daughter was getting married, I wanted her to do something, but a lady said, Oh, no, she's getting married. She can't do anything. Well, suppose she is getting married. She still has to work. I had to. Like one lady says to me, First there's the honeymoon. Then there's the funny moon. I thought that was a good one. She came from Germany and her husband promised her all kinds of stuff. She said she was supposed to go pile the pulp. 
and then get so much of the pulp when it was piled. And she did not get anything. Just, you know, first the honeymoon, then the funny moon. She was cute. No, once you're married, you're married. You have to do what comes to your hands. It was much nicer with the trains. Oh, the trains, that was the only way to travel. They should have left the trains on instead of the heavy trucks going on the highway. They should have put all that stuff on the trains and left them. As a child, I often went alone on the trains to shop. I had to remember what was needed. My sister said, now you have to remember that. I am not going to write it down for you. And we were about a mile away from the train and that was pretty heavy. I did not really enjoy the walk. But then it was, get on the train and go, and at the first stop, get off. From Wilno to Barry's Bay, or Wilno to Killaloo, get on the train and go, and at the first stop, get off. Of course, the road is good enough now. In the winter time, they keep them up. But I remember one time my husband got sick. The doctor had to travel from Killaloo on the railroad track. He had skis on his car and he could use them to travel on the snow and on the railroad track. He had to stay at our place all night. It was hard. When you wanted a doctor, you had to go to Killaloo and you wondered if you would find him at home. There was no telephone to find out. The only thing you could do was go back the next day. I remember when one of my daughters got pleurisy. She had it in back and in front. I stayed up with her all night and I kept fresh mustard on her. Every hour I changed her mustard poultice. And the next day when the doctor came in here, he said, what did you do for her? I said nothing else, only I kept a fresh mustard on her every hour and the mustard draws it out. He said, that is all that saved her. If it wasn't for the mustard, she'd be dead this morning. That is how sick she was. That was one of my problems here. She was sick the first year we were here. and I never did like the place after. The depression did not hit me hard, but it hit people around our place. Most of the people were begging for money, for food, money or food. But my husband's sawmill was going. Tom Murray was a member of Parliament here in the depression time, and my husband was Reeve. And if people were begging for help, Tom Murray used to send them over to my husband. He said, go and see the Reeve. Go see him and he'll always give you something. He won't let you go hungry. Sometimes he gave them work. And if not, he'd give them help. I went to see a lady who was a cook for Father Coolis. I went to visit her in the hospital. And she was telling me about this bologna I gave her. She said she was going home from school and I called her in to give her bologna. She said she was so happy. They were all so happy at home because they got some meat. She said it was so heavy that she could hardly carry it home. I had forgotten all about it. My sister said the people sitting on my husband's steps in Barry's Bay reminded her of the soup kitchens. But nowadays, there are no hard times. They get checks from the government, and they don't care. Well, Canada is a rich country, if they can keep it up. If the woman doesn't help the man, he can't paddle the canoe by himself. I was always working and saving. I wouldn't buy anything unless my husband said that we could afford it. And if he said that we couldn't afford it, I wouldn't buy it. I do without it. But now it seems the woman, she wants everything. She has to have it. 
I think women today are going too far. They want everything. Years ago, they couldn't even vote. Now they have the vote and they have everything, and yet they're not satisfied. They still want more. And they're not strong enough to do a man's job. You give them a little bit. Even in the prisons, they want TVs and everything. You should hear the stories. They shouldn't give them TVs. If I was the boss, I wouldn't allow TVs at all. I don't think it does anybody any good. On June 17, 1919, Evelyn Hildebrandt was born in Barry's Bay at 58 Bay Street, the same address where one of her daughters still lives today, 101 years later. Evelyn herself was the youngest daughter of John Hildebrandt and Annie Gatoski, who settled in the area early in the 20th century. Evelyn was the youngest of five children, though her two oldest brothers perished at that same Bay Street address while only little children. She was forever mindful of that tragedy, but it never kept her from living a full and productive life. She married Alfred, Freddie Villeneuve, and they had nine children of their own, all of them learning to love Evelyn's one true passion, hockey, and in particular, the Montreal Canadiens. She passed away on the 1st of February, 2002. Her second youngest daughter, Marie Villeneuve, reads her mother's recorded history. It was hard for my mother. First, her two oldest children got burnt, and then her father died, and then her husband died. My mother was getting water when the two boys were burnt. They had no well in those days. She had to carry water from about a quarter of a mile away. Johnny and Michael had to wait at home for her. Johnny was five, and the other little fellow was three. Johnny was like an old man. He would always watch the smaller lad. And he would always say, Michael, we'll be all right. The both of them would rock in the rocking chair. When she had to go for water, the two of them would sit underneath the table. Apparently, that's where they burnt. The house was wood frame. That's why it went so fast. Mom used to tell me that people said they were screaming and crying. She said that for years and years after, no matter where she went, she could hear the crying of her two children, and that was hard. My dad was 41 when he died. He was in a hunting accident, and the gun slipped. I was only four. And then when my children's father died, my youngest was only four. Now my daughter is paranoid. She says, oh, mom, I wonder who it is going to hit now in this generation. It is weird the way that happened. I lost my dad at four and she lost her dad at four. And she was his little apple dumpling. I said we must have been doomed the day we opened our eyes. Don't you think that's tragic? In my mother's time, there was no mother's allowance. Don't ask me who the government was, or who was in power, or anything. I don't know. But Mrs. Alex Shala was a school teacher, and Mom and I used to always go there, and she would write for us. She kept writing and writing, and finally, Mom did get something. But when she did start getting old age pension, and you had to be 70, it was $40 a month. That's what she got. And look at the hard work they did on the farm. We would go back and forth to her sisters on the farms. It was three and a half miles to walk out to the farm. Nobody had cars. We would walk out, stay for two days, come home for a day, and then walk back again to the homestead. There was just the three girls, Mom and Aunt Matilda and Aunt Augusta. So they had to do the haying and the raking. Mom would help carry wood in, or pick up chips, or pick up eggs. Each extra person helped. But we were glad to go out there 
because when we'd come home, we could have a big bundle of salty pork or cream or homemade butter, stuff like that. Later, we used to keep pigs and cows and chickens. We had two cows. I had to milk them, come home and eat, go back and get the cows and go to the pasture, which was almost a mile back. Then other people asked me to take their cows. Soon I had four cows to take. I would get a dollar and a half a month for getting them and bringing them back. I get tired just talking about it. I remember one time I went to school with only my slip on. I had just slipped a coat on that morning. When the bell rang, I ran to the cloakroom to take off my coat, and here I only had my slip on. I called sister to the cloakroom. She said, what's the matter, Evelyn? I said, I forgot to put my dress on. It is funny though, now when I think of it. My brother Charles used to go at night to hold a lantern for lads who were piling lumber in the yard. Then he would come home at six o'clock in the morning, grab a bite and lie down for a while, and then go to school for nine o'clock. Poor fellow. I got a lot of lickings in school. I guess that made me tougher. I would laugh out loud and sister would say, what is that all about? Who laughed? She couldn't tell because there were quite a few would laugh. None of them would stand up. But I would stand up as brave as a soldier. Sister would say, Evelyn, if you do that once more. But then I would turn around and look at them all as if to say, what a bunch of cowards. There was a lot of pansies in my days too. I wouldn't say I was really tough, but I had to be a little bit that way in order to survive. I skipped two grades, from grade three to four, and then from six to seven. I was really smart. We were all taught by the nuns, and they were good. The nuns had a big garden, and they asked me to look after it. I looked after their garden, plus our big garden. So I never had any time, but I really appreciated it because they thought a lot of me. I was not looking for glory, but I loved the nuns, and they all seemed to love me. I went to grade 10 for about three weeks, and that was it. I would have loved to go back to school. I did go back for two weeks, but then they decided you had to pay tuition. Four dollars a month. Nowadays, if you tell someone tuition was four dollars a month, they will laugh in your face. But in those days, mom couldn't pay it, so we had to go out and work. Whatever money we could get, my sister and I put the money on the table. I don't know if there was no welfare or if mom didn't bother. Mom ruled the roost all the time. I would never go against her. Life at that time was slow. If there was a floor to scrub, I was always there. And I might get 50 cents. And then there was apples to pick and jam to make. At home, I did everything. Mom depended on me a lot. I was the baby. Charlie was the oldest, and Anna Mary was next, and then me. But Mom always wanted me around all the time. She wasn't a strong woman. She had a lot of strokes, and she had headaches an awful lot. I felt sorry for her. I would always do everything for her. She was a good woman for the church. If there were picnics or bazaars going on, they would call my mom. She would go there for the whole week and work like anything. I was glad because then I could come from the pasture. I could go up there and help. And then I would get all kinds of pies and cakes, which is good, you know. There used to be a 10 o'clock Polish mass. And afterwards, two or three families would come out to the homestead. There was a big spread every Sunday. They would take turns, which was really nice. And as a child, you know how much you'd enjoy that. Mom used to supply St. Lawrence's Church and St. Hedwig's Church with gladiolas and asters all summer. We had to dig the whole yard from the front to back for gladiolas. I would put the bulbs in, and unless she had headaches, she would help me. Once they started blooming, she would say, Evelyn, take that there, and when you come back, take that there. 
Oh, she was a real flower lady to the church. Life was tough, but it was much happier than it is today. I find today people are not satisfied. They don't seem to get along as well as they did in the old days. There wasn't as much arguing, you know. You never had time. You knew what had to be done and everybody chipped in. I don't understand children today. 14, 15, and they don't even know how to wring out a dishcloth. How the world has changed. You learn to not spend any money if you didn't have to. You hung on to whatever you could. You bought just what you needed. If you could do without it, you just did without it. My daughter, if you want to see somebody tight with money, it is her. And she says, Mom, where do I get it from but you? I wasn't one for fancy clothes when I was small. I was rowdy with clothes. I didn't care what I wore. Mom used to get a lot of hand-me-downs. They were old-fashioned, but we were old-fashioned too. There was a mauve checked one with plain mauve in between. I admired that dress something terrible. Mind you, it was all homemade clothes or second-hand clothes, but I was happy anyway. Then, when I got a bit older, some of the girls started dressing up nice, and I remember wearing a patched coat to school. I wore it anyway, but it bothered me. It was starting to bother me why others had money and we didn't. I know, I said, life dealt me a mean blow, and the same with my mother. The only fun I had was when May devotions were on at St. Hedwig's Church. I would go every day. It was an outing. Mom wouldn't let me out of the yard otherwise. She was very strict. Oh, my mother was strict. Glory. We had a fence around our yard with a three-foot gate at the side. I was not allowed to go beyond that fence without permission. And that was the way it was until I was about 15. I could go to school, but I always had to come straight home. If you went out across the picket line, Mom was dead against that. And I guess I was a child that listened easy. But I could go to May devotions. Mom knew that was for the Blessed Mother and for God. First, the priest would say part of the Mass. And then he would stand and have a little sermon about the Blessed Mother. And then after, that was the benediction. It was about half an hour. Then a gang of us would get a ball team going. We used to play ball until dark. We used to call it Babe Ruth. They'd say, Oh, watch Hildebrandt, she's going to hit that ball to the church. I used to play hockey with the neighborhood kids, too. Yeah, I was quite the one for sport. My sister didn't care that much for sports or anything like that. But I did. Did I ever. I thought, my glory, if I'd had a father, I would have gone far. My grandmother came from Germany. She was pure German. And my grandfather came from Poland, so he was Polish. But my father's parents came from Germany. So that leaves me three quarters German and one quarter Polish. And then when I married, my husband was French and English. It was quite the mix-up. My mother's mother was really strict. She was so strict that I don't know what she looked like. Oh, glory. She would never go to church until she had made sure the umbrella was in the buggy. She took the umbrella because if the sun was shining, she knew people would be taking pictures. And she said that was vain, that God didn't want that. So she would use the umbrella to cover her face. So not one of a, any of the grandchildren, we never saw what she looked like. But I have my grandfather's pictures still. There were five brothers in the Hildebrands. Mr. Wormke, a neighbor, lived across the road from them. He used to say that as soon as Grandma and Grandpa would go out for a Sunday visit, the five boys would be sitting on the front veranda, my father and his brothers. Mr. Wormke said they all had knives out and they were whittling, and they all turned out to be carpenters. 
When the Murrays and the Omanics had their big mill, Barry's Bay was a booming town. They had a day shift, but they needed another set of men to run the night shift. And one fellow said, Well, I'm from Pembroke, he said. And I know lots of good lads, he said. Good workers, he said. And if you don't mind, he said, I'll bring half of Pembroke here. So it just happened that my lad was one of them. Well, boarding places were hard to find, but my first cousin had a boarding house. Sometimes she would ask me to help with pies and stuff. So I would go there and I would meet them all. There were older men, middle-aged men, and younger guys. So you had your pick. I got married at 21. I thought it would be a better life. He was very good. Every night, he would take us out in the car. He would say, Ma, get the kids ready. We'll go out for a treat. There wasn't a night he didn't take us out for a drive, and everybody got a cone of ice cream and a bottle of pop. When we got married, I wanted to get a place of our own and move. But Mom cried and cried. So we lived with her for 11 years. Then it was getting too crowded because we had four children by that time. So then we built our own house. Mom was crying and crying when we moved away. She said, I don't know how I'm going to live. She said, I'm going to die. Well, I said, Mom, you can come over to visit. So then she would come there every morning at 6 o'clock in the morning and sit on the back veranda. As soon as my husband would get up, he would say, Evelyn, your mother's here waiting for breakfast. Every breakfast she came. Every noon hour. She would come at around 11 o'clock, sit down and have a chat, have her dinner. Then she would go home and then wait for a while, then come back again. She missed having me around. I worked so hard at that new house. It was all clay, and after everything was leveled, I wanted to plant grass seed. So me and the older kids took baskets and pails and climbed up a high hill there to get good black earth. We would work all day long, bring the earth, spread that out, and spread out the grass seed. We had no well yet, so we had to go to one of my neighbors for water. We used to get the wagon and draw the water from the neighbor's well to water the grass with the watering can. In the winter, I had one of those big barrels on the sun porch. I filled that up with snow and ice and melted it. And that's how I used to do the washing. And I had twin boys, Alfred and John, as well as six other children. Every five o'clock in the morning, I would have two lines of diapers out. They weren't the diapers they have nowadays. We had to soak them, rinse them out in two or three waters, and then put them in suds and wash them using the washboard to scrub them. People today, they're so lucky. One of my twin boys died in that big flu there in 1959, 11 months old. I went through almost a whole year there with two of them, and then I lost one. That took an awful lot out of me. I took it hard. For a long time after that, whenever we went out for drives, I would see my baby's angel face above all the high, tall pine trees. I couldn't get over it. As my mother got older, she started getting slight strokes. A couple of times, she was halfway home and she got weak. Somebody would bring her to us and say, your mother is pretty bad on her legs and thought we'd bring her over here. So then my husband, Freddie, made up his mind. He said, well, Evelyn, I think we have to move back since your mother won't leave her home. I didn't want to because I'd worked so hard over at our new place and we were only allowed so many rooms in our house that, and I had eight children by then. So it was pretty crowded. There's nothing better than when a person has his own home. But poor soul, she had six strokes before she died. That's why we moved in and cared for her. 
I'm glad that I had the life I had because really, I think it made me a good person. And they say that the way you treat your mother, that is the way that you will be treated. I often wonder. My children are good, but I don't think anybody would want to leave their homes to come here. My daughter invited me to her place, but I said, what would I do there? I'd go crazy. Here I can walk around my own yard. I'm going to tackle it on my own as long as I can. Hopefully, I'll never need anybody. But if and when I do, I know my children will all be there for me. On June 12, 1926, Bernice Catherine O'Grady was also born in Barry's Bay, the only daughter of Joe O'Grady and Teresa Tessie Coslow, who had eight other children, though none of them survived infancy. Such incomprehensible tragedy made Bernice both incredibly strong and yet incredibly precious to her parents. In 1950, Bernice married John, Jackie Billings, and together they worked at the Balmoral Hotel, or as it was often called, the Billings Hotel, given that it was opened in 1895 by Jackie Billings' grandfather, Josh Billings, right across from the new train station in Barry's Bay. Bernice passed away on February 2, 2015, following another tragedy, a hit-and-run incident only steps from her beloved home. The unknown automobile driver remains at large. She was 78 years of age. Bernice and Jackie Billings had five children, including their oldest daughter, Joanne, who reads her mother's words. My maiden name was O'Grady from Killaloo My great-grandmother immigrated to Canada with something like ten sons and two or three daughters, a very large family. They settled down around Ottawa in a farming area. Then they were offered free land to come to farm up here, as long as they put a building on it and stayed. I haven't any memories of my grandfathers. My grandfather O'Grady died long before I was born. My grandfather Coslow died in his early 30s. He got caught in a barbed wire fence and blood poison set in and that was it. No penicillin. My grandmother had a beautiful voice. She could sing in Gaelic. Many's the song she sang in Gaelic, but I could never get my tongue around it. I can't speak much Polish either, but I can understand it. When I was a kid, I could understand a lot, because I went to school with Polish girls. I had one really good friend whose mother didn't speak a word of English. So when you went there, you either sat there like a lump, or else you tried to understand what she was saying. I was born in Barry's Bay. Barry's Bay was only a small place then. Not many people. My father worked for C&D Murray's store. He worked there for years. Then in later years, he worked here at the Billings's Hotel. There were wooden sidewalks in front of the first place we lived. When you came out of the house and wanted to walk uptown, well, there were wooden sidewalks, boardwalks. I can remember the cement sidewalks being put in. We got roller skates, and all the old ladies were scared we were going to run them over. It was the only place you had to roller skate, and we did. Young people talk about how far back they can remember things. Well, I remember going for a walk on a Sunday afternoon. It was March, with the hot sun out and all the snow melting into puddles. I had a white fur coat. It was made out of somebody else's old coat, but it was white fur. And my mom made it for me. When we got where the going was good, I didn't want them to hold my hands. So I ran ahead and I slipped. And I slid down a little lump of ice into a puddle of water. I couldn't have been more than three years old. I can remember the old murder in Barry's Bay. I would have been four or five years old. I remember the police coming and questioning people. I can still remember those policemen because you didn't see many policemen around in those days. It was right along the lakeshore, just going out of town. It was a husband and wife. The husband's brother was kind of rushing the wife, so they decided to shoot him, and they were caught. The woman eventually ended up in a psychiatric hospital in Kingston. The man must have died in prison. I have four brothers and four sisters who all died right at birth. My mother had Rh negative, O-type blood, and they didn't know what that was in those days. So every baby but me was born full term and died the minute it was born. I was okay because I was the first one. 
but they didn't know that. My mother went to different doctors and every baby would die. They would say, well, there has to be a deficiency someplace. We'll try this. Of course, she said, all right. She really wanted a family, and so did my dad. And then the next time, it would be the same. One particular time, I well remember she got some clear oval-shaped pills. They were almost a, a cod liver oil pill or some kind of wheat germ. I remember sneaking one outside and taking the hammer and hitting it to see what would come out. I didn't know very much about what was going on, eh? I wasn't any more than nine years old then. I was 12 or 13 when the last baby was born and died. I have visions of going to the graveyard with all these little white caskets over the years. I could take you down to the graveyard and show you right where they're buried. So I lived a pretty protected life, you can imagine. I didn't get going too far away by myself. I remember King George VI and his queen, Elizabeth. They came to Ottawa as a young couple, and all the school children in Barry's Bay went on an excursion train from the school to Ottawa to see them. I was the only one in the whole school that couldn't go. My mother was afraid to let me go. She thought I wouldn't come back. I never forgot that, but I can understand now. I was an only child, but I hardly ever ate a meal alone. If there was a kid around the corner at all, my mother had them in to eat a meal. I was embarrassed, actually. I had a birthday party every year, whether I wanted it or not. Some of the girls around here, some of the ladies around here now, they still laugh about that. 18 years old, and you have to have a birthday party. Everybody danced at our place. There was nothing else to do, and there was a gramophone. We'd turn it on, and everybody step-danced. When I was five years old, there was a St. Patrick's concert in St. Hedrick's Church basement, and I danced with my dad. I can even remember the dress I wore. It was pale green, and it was organdy. I was always dressed in frills because of being the only one. My mother had bows and frills on me all the time. I had to be kind of a boy for my dad and a girl for my mom. I learned to drive when I was 12 years old. My dad worked at Murray's, and they had a half-ton delivery truck. My dad had that truck all the time, and when we'd get on the back roads, he'd let me drive. My legs weren't long enough to reach the clutch and the brake pedal, so he had blocks that he used to put on, like you do on a kid's tricycle. He put those blocks on, and then he'd wind around some wide pieces of rubber that he had cut from an inner tube, and then I'd drive down the back roads. I remember driving into a swamp one time, and we had to get a team of horses to pull us out. I was 12 years old when I learned to drive. Of course, there were no policemen around then like there are now. I wouldn't be doing it now. My mom was very talented. She could do anything with her hands. She was always making things. There are people around town here that still have things that she made. She could sew, and she used to knit for herself, coats and sweaters and everything. She grew up poor. They made do with what they had. Years back, we didn't have any electricity to get around here. I remember doing the laundry. She'd wash by hand and hang it out and bring it in and iron it and she was baking all the time and cooking meals and still she had time to visit. Now what's happened to the time? Where is it gone? We don't have time for anything anymore. The day isn't long enough. But she had time for everything. During the Depression, the only work was working on the roads. They were building roads to give men work. It paid something like 80 cents a day. A friend of my mother was a teacher and she came to Barry's Bay to teach school. She came to our house because she knew my mom. And she asked if she could board with us. Okay, sure, we had lots of room, there were only the three of us. She said she would pay $5 a month for room and board. But then my dad lost his job on the road. He couldn't keep that job on the road for 80 cents a day and still be getting $5 a month for having a teacher to board. So that was the way it went. We got the $5, we lived on it, but that is a long time ago. My mother had a garden and chickens. I remember as a kid we had all these gray chickens, barred rocks. Their food used to have buckwheat in it. You had to boil the chicken feed before you gave it to the chickens in those days. One day my mom boiled the feed and she fed the chickens and then she took a look out the window. Some of the chickens were flat on their backs and some of them were fighting and their combs were all bleeding and everything. My mother almost had a fit. When my dad came home, she told him, and he said, Oh, he said, you gave them too much buckwheat. They're all drunk. That's exactly what happened. They all went crazy. I remember that well.
My father worked for the hotel and my husband Jack worked the hotel, but I was never much around the hotel, was I, after I was married. I had five kids and my parents. All our married life, my parents lived with us, and we never had a misunderstanding. I remember the priest saying it was a very odd thing to think that we got along that well. I think it was because everybody had a real good sense of humor. No matter how tough it was going, you could always laugh. My kids grew up knowing their grandmother and grandfather, as well as they knew their parents. When I hear about people having to go into a home, I think, gee, that shouldn't have to be. That's one memory that I've got that I think is just great. I well remember this hotel as a kid. It was booming. I'd come down here with my dad and you know there were people all over. There were trains coming in here three or four times a day. Right across at the station they had a place where they unloaded freight and express. The post office was here in the hotel. Next to that were what they called the sample rooms. Men came on the train with their wares and put them out in the sample rooms and then the storekeepers used to come and pick out what they wanted. I can remember going in there with my dad. I remember coming for the mail when I couldn't see over the top of the wicket. The hotel has been the Billingses all the time. Josh Billings, the grandfather, built it. And after Grandpa Billings died, his son Basil Billings took it over with his mother. Grandma Billings cooked here in the kitchen until she was darn near 80. Then Basil's sister, her name was Stacia Billings, took it on and they ran like that for years. The Billingses were a very friendly family. They treated everybody the same. You got the same treatment regardless of who you were. Even yet, if there's somebody stranded on the road, the police bring them here, you know. If somebody goes to the priest and needs help, they bring them here. The hotel was always known for that. My husband Jack grew up here. His mother died when he was five or six years old. There were three boys and a girl in the family and they ate all their meals in the kitchen of the hotel. They lived at home with their dad, they slept at home, but they had their daily routine. They got up and came here for breakfast, then they went to school, and then they came here for supper. As a kid, Jack used to carry in the big blocks of wood for the furnace in the basement. When people were turning back to wood these last years, when everybody was getting wood stoves and everybody was getting wood furnaces, my husband said, nope. He said, I've already carried way too much wood. Everybody sort of comes in and out of the hotel. People check it out every day. There's an old register here from 1905. You can see the name of Mrs. McWhirter, the lady who was on the Mayflower. Her signature is in there from when she stayed over. And different names of women. Of course, a lot of men going up to the lumber camps used to stay over. There was a big shed at the back where they could keep the horses they were taking. I would think that they enjoyed every bit of it. I can remember coming in here. There was a table over on the other side. You could come in any afternoon and there would be nine men around that table and they would be playing cards. I remember Mr. Murray, that's Thomas Murray, always came down here to read the paper. Came in and spread it out every day. And of course, Stacia Billings. She was Mrs. Dunnigan. She played the piano. There would be sing songs here night and day and every old time. She'd sit at the piano for hours and play, and everybody sang. Stacia was a great lady, very, very stately, very, but lots of fun. Apparently, Josh Billings was a real character. He had a sense of humor like you wouldn't believe. I heard stories about when the travelers came in here on the train. They all stayed here, and I guess there were times in the winter when it was darn cold. I guess this one lad was really complaining about his room being cold when some old lad came in from outside. He had whiskers, you know, and there were icicles hanging from his whiskers. Jack said, Grandfather Billings turned around and looked at him and says, And what room did you stay in last night? Making the other lad feel like he had a real warm one, I guess. Apparently he was quite a character, Josh. Very, very comical. The Billings were definitely good-natured. Stacia Billings, Mrs. Dunnigan, would give you anything she owned, anything she had. She was always giving, giving all the time. I can remember Jack delivering hampers of food at Christmas time. The Billingses just did that on their own. If Stacia had anything that she could get along without, she gave it away. And that carried through with them all. It's just a characteristic of them, and it's a nice one. We have big crocks in the basement here that they used to have packed with butter to take them over winter. It was the same with meat, beef, and pork. I guess they froze it in barrels. 
And I can remember the fall when the farmers would do up their turkeys and chickens and hang them by their feet. They would have them all hung up, frozen out in the building that we still have at the back. We never had liquor here until 1981. All we had was beer and wine. When Josh Billings was here, they called it High Wines. There was a little wicket where they sold it. I think it was 50 cents a gallon. Years ago, when the men came from the lumber camps on weekends, apparently they used to fight. Jack always used to say that his dad always used to say that it wouldn't be a good weekend if you didn't have a good fight. But there were never any hard feelings. You fought and you made up and that was it. In later years, different ones used to come in here and say to Jack, Oh Lord, how do you ever get along with all these people? Jack would say, No problem. And he didn't. He never had a problem. The odd little ruckus that would happen here, it was never, never anybody that we knew. It was always people going through who figured, eh, it's a small town, we can do what we like. Well, of course, that was one thing that you didn't do around here, what you liked. You know, if you stepped out of line, Mr. Billings was right here to tell you, oh no, you don't do that. And they all respected him. The bar over there, they used to call it the Shrine. I'm going down to the Shrine for a drink. That was something you'd hear. Come on down to the shrine for a drink. Now the reason for that, there were two elderly gentlemen in town here and they used to come down in the afternoon for a drink. And one of them used a cane and the other one used crutches. And by six o'clock when it was time to go home for supper, they would walk out without the crutches and without the cane. And so Jack's dad christened it the shrine. Come on down to the shrine. Later on that night, somebody would be sent home with the cane and the crutches so they'd have them for the next day. So that's where the term comes from, going down to the shrine for a drink. That's a long time ago when you start thinking back. You never think about how old you are until you start thinking about the way things were. Oh yes, but anyway, we still have a lot of fun here. But we see a lot of tragedy here too. Maybe this is where the Billingses get to be so good-natured, because there was a lot of tragedy in their time. Not long ago, there was a lady here at the hotel for the night, and she started asking about different people around. And then she told my husband that she was the wife that murdered her brother-in-law so long ago. She was an elderly, elderly lady. She couldn't leave the psychiatric hospital, because if she did, she would have to go back to prison. But she got holidays, like everybody else. Well, I don't even know if she would have told us who she was, but she was looking for her sister, and then we realized who she was. We still have a lot of fun here. We have 23 bedrooms on three floors and some of our boarders eat all their meals here. I go continuously. It's the only way I can live. I couldn't sit down. If I sat down and said, well, I'm going home to sit down. Let somebody else run the place. I wouldn't last a week. I'm not that type of person. I've got to be busy. This always was my husband's one great hope. I hope we can keep this going. I hope it doesn't fall to me to let it go from the family. So now this is the way I'm thinking. I don't want to be the one to say, well, who wants to buy this place? I don't know if anybody would come in here and keep it just the way it is. As many of you know, Joanne Billings Olson is also the president of the Station Keepers MV, that nonprofit corporation that not only sponsors the Apianga line, it also does all it can to preserve and promote local heritage and culture here in the Upper Madawaska Valley. And as much as we want to remind you again that our show tonight, Lilies of the Valley, is the first of many such upcoming shows over the coming year and that will be based on Madawaska Valley memories. It also gives us great pleasure to announce that the station keepers have something new up their sleeve. They have recently secured another new oral history grant thanks to the help of Madawaska Valley Township staff and in particular Stephanie Plevin, its Parks and Recreation Coordinator. So, starting this July... The station keepers will again be collecting new oral histories from our local senior citizens. This time, Martina Koulis, a local university student, will be conducting interviews. And, with a little luck, she will add mightily to the depth and knowledge of our local heritage and culture in the years to come, thanks to the many new personal stories we hope to hear, and that are similar to the ones you have heard here tonight. Tonight's show was performed by Kathy Chapesky, Marie Villeneuve, and Joanne Olson. 
It was produced by Barry Conway with the kind and generous support of Karen Filipkowski, the current librarian at the Madawaska Valley Public Library in Barry's Bay, that very same library that produced Madawaska Valley Memories back in the early 1990s. I'm Kristen Marchand, and for all of us here at the Apiango Readers Theatre and the Apiango Line, we wish you good day, and God bless.